Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. It's Matt Bushby here to talk about listed infrastructure markets. Today is the 4th of May in Sydney. All the numbers in this podcast are in local currency as at the end of last week. With me is Shane Hurst, Senior Portfolio Manager across all of our listed infrastructure portfolios. Shane, two weeks ago in our last podcast, we discussed the possibility that markets could retest their lows. Since then, we've seen broadly rising markets and in local terms, global equities are now only down around 10% year to date, the end of April. What's driven markets higher? Thanks, Matt. There are a number of reasons markets have risen over the last few weeks. Volumes continue to be light in markets. The earnings season kicked off in the US, the Q1 earnings season, with almost half of S&P companies having reported many missing expectations. Certainly, more cyclical sectors have fallen quite sharply. Uh, Previously, bounced back quite strongly with defensive sectors producing uh, relatively stable outcomes. The discussion of possible vaccines or treatments also continue to drive markets. And then probably finally, fiscal stimulus and loose monetary policy continues to be a topic of discussion and really a buffer for volatility in the markets at the moment. Turning specifically to listed infrastructure markets, which sectors have performed well and which have lagged over April? As you'd expect, with a rough March period, the very strong rebound in April, MSCI up around about 13%, saw a lot of those weaker companies in March perform very well in April. So some of the best performing sectors included North American pipelines, infrastructure like airports, roads and rail, which had lagged during the period. Also some very high quality names that have been brought down by volatility and the beta in the markets like contracted renewables and high quality regulated utilities also perform very, very well. In terms of underperformers, there weren't that many, frankly, and really were focused around some of the European utilities in Italy and Spain. If we take a slightly longer term view and talk sort of year to date rather than the last two weeks or the last month, are we still seeing that dispersion between utility and transport assets, given what you've just said about some of those more volume sensitive assets performing quite well over the last month? Absolutely. I mean, the answer is categorically yes, there is still a dispersion between utilities and transport. And even if you go into it in more detail, there's dispersion within each of those sectors and types of assets. So if you look at the transport side, airports have underperformed greatly, probably more than your roads and your your rail stocks. Obviously, not all airports are the same, not all rail the same, not all roads are the same. And so we think the market has really distinguished between those types of rebound or recovery profiles when it comes to transportation stocks. If you look at renewable infrastructure businesses or really regulated and high quality utilities, we think by and large, the market's been spot on with a number of those stocks really performing well relative to other stocks in the market, obviously because they have very limited impact from um, COVID. Thanks, Shane. We've just published our latest valuation pack. This pack tracks a range of valuation metrics across regions and sectors, and I'd encourage anyone listening to this podcast to download it uh, from our website. Shane, what is the market currently pricing in terms of expectations of the lockdown and ultimate recovery? Yeah, look, it really depends on the types of assets. Obviously, when there's minimal impact from the virus and really there's limited impact from a recovery in the case of high quality utilities, renewable infrastructure and towers, we think the market is correctly pricing um, most of these stocks. 
in the case of infrastructure stocks like airports, roads, and other more complicated utility stories, the market tends to price far more onerous lockdown restrictions into those prices. In many cases, airports, roads, and rail are pricing in multi-year lockdowns with a very muted recovery or large structural destruction in value for a number of those infrastructure assets. In those types of dislocations, we can often find some very good value. So Shane, have we changed our portfolios over the last fortnight? And, and if so, are they based on simply the market price at a point in time, or have we changed our view of potentially how we're coming out of this? No, look, we haven't changed our view of how we're coming out of this environment. Certainly, there is going to be a hell of a lot of volatility over the next few months in terms of what we've actually done, looking at different situations. We've tried to identify market dislocations so we can basically increase the certainty of outcome in the portfolio through reducing the tail or that downside skew of individual stocks and ultimately the portfolio. What that's meant is we continue to increase our exposure to beaten up high quality utilities, especially in the US. Some of those have characteristics like high certainty of cash flow outcomes, strong balance sheets, a very much constructive regulation and very solid management teams. We've also, as we talked about previously, increased our exposure selectively into infrastructure where we believe there is severe market dislocation. Not all infrastructure is the same. Airports, which may have a large amount of domestic traffic, for example, or may have sister airports such as Sydney and Auckland, where the virus hasn't meaningfully impacted the populations, are actually able to open up far earlier and and traffic to increase than those airports where they have a large amount of international traffic. So we have selectively been increasing our infrastructure exposure In the end, we continue to reduce our exposure in North American pipelines, and we continue to have concerns with both the current producer environment because of the current level of commodity pricing, as well as the impact of sustainable practices on long-term valuations for those pipeline companies. In terms of economic outlook, during the last week, or the last two weeks really, we've had a number of meetings as part of our investment advisory board process. What are some of the key takeouts of that, Shane? There is still a huge amount of uncertainty out there, so I'll caveat by saying that, but we certainly expect economies to slowly come out and slowly exit lockdown. We think the risk where the current market is at the moment is probably on the downside. And we see a very deep Q3 growth reduction followed by some type of rebound in Q3. Q3, so Q2 reduction followed followed by some type of rebound in Q3. Uh, But central banks have really provided unprecedented levels of policy support. Just as an example, fiscal and monetary policy in the US takes up somewhat a large amount of GDP. We're talking 40% of GDP just with that support from the government and the Federal Reserve. And clearly, bond yields will remain low. You'll continue to see a shift to shorter supply chains, more regional supply chains as a function of the current crisis, continue to see risk of EMs defaulting, trying to grow slowing, and really a, a very slow move out of the economic hole we are currently in. I think in those types of environments and an environment where you still have uncertainty around the political aspects of the election in the US and how the European Union will operate through this period from a fiscal perspective in terms of cooperation, infrastructure assets with visible cash flows will clearly continue to perform well. So Shane, one of the hallmarks of you know, our investment process is how we integrate sustainability issues into our analysis and portfolio construction. How have our thoughts changed, if at all, on how sustainability will impact our investment opportunities in a post-COVID-19 environment? Our thoughts haven't changed at all. And in fact, that's the reason why we've been increasing our exposure to a number of 
more sustainable businesses through this process as have sold off with the volatility. The thematic is extremely important from an economic perspective, from a policy perspective. Really, sustainable investing is becoming mainstream, and you would argue that people in the past who have been sceptical have been clearly proven wrong as the growth will continue into the future. So we're, we're, we're expecting some $10.3 trillion of investment just in renewables by 2050. In terms of our universe, it obviously doesn't only, only come through investing in renewable generation, but also through our regulated utilities. We spend large amounts of capital to actually strengthen grids to improve their infrastructure for when new renewable generation and other sustainable issues start to flow through their businesses. And, and so we get rewarded from a return on that capital. The implications and how it's changed through this period, really, um, we've continued to see broad support. So whether it's the European Council who have put this green transition as a key to their roadmap for recovery and relaunching the EU economy, or whether it's the US where it's slightly more contentious, but you would expect some type of extension of the clean energy tax credits later in this year, you do continue to see some very strong political and certainly social support for sustainable investing. Over the last couple of weeks, we have seen you know, information on or arguments around supply chain disruption, for example, for some of these renewable projects. You know, what's our view on that and how it will impact valuations of these companies? That's a very topical question. We have done a hell of a lot of work recently on really the end-to-end -end, uh, risks for companies we invest in, whether it be the risk around uh, labour shortage or the workforces coming back to actually start to install and build the wind and solar assets by and large, or whether it's the actual manufacturing plants themselves, what we have seen is obviously a supply shock as uh, lockdowns have occurred. From our perspective, we invest in the largest owners of contracted renewables, the largest developers of those renewable assets. And the communication we have had with those companies have been very little risk for 2020, likely to be very little risk in 2021. And by being such a large scale player, they're not only able to utilize their size in sourcing equipment and providing increased certainty for us as investors, but more importantly, in these types of very volatile times, they're able to find opportunities to acquire companies that may be flailing, which is obviously a positive. If you have to leave listeners with a, with a comment or two about infrastructure markets, uh, what would they be? Yeah, look, uh, the beauty of infrastructure is it's kind of the lifeblood of society and really, uh, you know, central to the operations of the economy. So we continue to build portfolios with stable cash flow assets that will allow us to deliver low volatility outcomes with very often very stable and increasing dividends. While clearly markets like this are noisy and sometimes painful, frankly, you know, these markets really allow us to find the best assets amongst market dislocations and reduce the skew of outcomes to the downside, really shaping the way the portfolio is going to look in the years ahead. So these types of markets, that's often when we find the best opportunities and the best value for investing. Thanks very much, Shane. I guess that really caps off the podcast with, you know, what is the role of infrastructure in a portfolio? It is about narrowing the range of outcomes that investors are exposed to versus some other asset classes such as equity markets or property markets, for example, which are more sort of economically exposed. Thanks very much for your time, everybody. Uh, if you have any questions about today's podcast, please contact your local sales representative.